Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're bringing back a format we did way back when we were talking about Aladdin. We're doing an old versus new episode. Uh, And today we're talking about Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. Maverick, you just did an incredibly brave thing. What you should have done was land your plane. You don't own that plane, the taxpayers do. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. You've been busted, you lost your qualifications as section leader three times, put in hack twice by me. With a history of high-speed passes over five air-controlled towers and one admiral's daughter. Penny Benjamin. And you, asshole, you're lucky to be here. Thank you, sir. And let's not bullshit, Maverick. Your family name ain't the best in the Navy. You need to be doing it better and cleaner than the other guy. Now, what is it with you? Just want to serve my country. Be the best fighter pilot in the Navy, sir. Don't screw around with me, Maverick. You're a hell of an instinctive pilot. Maybe too good. I'd like to bust your butt, but I can't. I got another problem here. I got to send somebody from this squadron to Miramar. I got to do something here. I, I, I still can't believe it. I gotta give you your dream shot. I'm gonna send you up against the best. You two characters are going to Top Gun. For five weeks, you're gonna fly against the best fighter pilots in the world. You were number two, Cougar was number one. Cougar lost it, turned in his wings. You guys are number one. But you remember one thing. You screw up just this much. You'll be flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. Yes, sir! That is all. You can tell me about the mix some other time. Gentlemen! Good luck, gentlemen. Thank you, sir. Thank you. These are military recruitment action thrillers. Top Gun was directed by Tony Scott, and Top Gun Maverick was directed by Joseph Kosinski. The cast includes Ethan Hunt, Andy Dufresne, Witness Rachel, Inspector William Armstrong, Gay Perry, David Drumlin, Don Draper, Andrew Neiman, and Marion Silver. I watched both of these movies on Amazon. Joey, how did you watch them? I watched them on YouTube. It's, uh, yeah, I'm waiting for these to be on some sort of streaming service. Everybody I've talked to that didn't see Top Gun in the theaters is still waiting so they can see yeah, it somewhere. Right. I'm sure it'll be somewhere before too long written in the sky (laughs) uh well before we begin our analysis a comparison of these two movies we're going to start start by summarizing the events very quickly so i've written a pair of synopsises that we're going to read i'll read top gun one and uh and then you'll read top gun two or top gun maverick so here we go with the synopsis for top gun one Pete Maverick Mitchell is a U.S. Naval aviator lieutenant that is transcendently good at being a fighter pilot, but he's not perfect. He's reckless and doesn't value teamwork enough. His dad was also a pilot that died under classified circumstances, and this gives Maverick daddy issues. He is selected to attend Top Gun, a training program for the best of the best naval pilots. At Top Gun, Maverick develops a rivalry with the unflappable Tom Iceman Kazansky, who never makes mistakes and does things by the book. 
Maverick is so good at flying planes that he catches the eye of Dr. Charlotte Charlie Blackwood, and the two start dating. During a training exercise, Maverick and his radar intercept officer, Lieutenant Junior Grade Nick Goose Bradshaw, are forced to eject. But Goose is killed when his head slams against the jettisoned aircraft canopy. Even though Maverick is cleared of any wrongdoing, he still blames himself for Goose's death and considers quitting the Navy. However, a chat with Chief Instructor Commander Mike Viper Metcalf helps Maverick overcome his daddy issues and begins his process of regaining confidence. He graduates from Top Gun and is deployed immediately to a conflict where he teams up with Iceman and some other Top Gun grads to shoot down some real bad guys. They are successful, and Iceman tells Maverick he can be his wingman anytime. Maverick throws Goose's dog tags overboard and returns to Top Gun as an instructor. Now, 30 years have passed since the events of the first Top Gun, and now Pete Maverick Mitchell is a test pilot. He makes an experimental airplane go faster than Mach 10 in order to delay the Dark Star scramjet program from getting shut down in favor of funding drone projects. Maverick gets chewed out for insubordination and is told that the era of crewed fighter aircraft will end soon. Maverick is then sent to instruct Top Gun graduates to help them complete a nearly impossible mission to destroy an unsanctioned uranium enrichment plant. Maverick totally dominates all the other Top Gun grads in training exercises, proving he's still the best. One of the Top Gun grads is Bradley Rooster Bradshaw, son of the late Nick Goose Bradshaw. Rooster has a bad relationship with Maverick because Maverick has interfered with his career, but it is later revealed that Maverick did this to honor the wishes of Rooster's late mother, who did not want her son to fly. On top of this, we find out that Tom Iceman Kazansky is now an admiral and commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet and has been using his power and influence to protect Maverick from being grounded for insubordination, which he is consistently doing. But now, Iceman has throat cancer and dies. With his protector gone, Maverick is removed from the mission, and the Navy decides to go with a different strategy that will likely get all the pilots killed. Maverick proves his method is better by actually doing it in an unauthorized training exercise. As a result, Maverick is made the team leader, and he's allowed to select his team for the mission. One of the pilots he chooses is Rooster. The mission is a success, but during their escape, Maverick sacrifices himself to save Rooster. Maverick ejects and lands behind enemy lines. He's about to be killed by a helicopter, but is saved by a rooster at the last minute, before rooster is also shot down. The two of them sneak onto an enemy base and steal one of the planes from Top Gun 1 and are barely able to escape from enemy airspace using crafty maneuvering and getting some help from rooster's rival, the self-assured Lieutenant Jake Hangman Saracen. At the end of the movie, Maverick flies into the sunset with his new bartender, GF. There you have it, both Top Guns summarized for you eloquently, if I do say so myself. I agree. (laughs) uh, So we're going to go section by section, kind of uh, comparing various aspects of each movie to each other and kind of using that as our jumping off point for discussion. So we'll start with the story. Joey, give me your opinions on uh, the, the differences and the similarities between these stories. I was, I'm really torn between these two movies. I was really thinking about this, talking to my parents, talking to other people I know about this movie, trying to figure out exactly what it was that didn't really jive for me, what it was that, that worked and what didn't work. It's, it's, 
acquired a lot of attention, I think. Um, the original Top Gun is very self-contained. It knows what it's trying to do and does that very well. It's not complicated. It's not profound. The deepest thing about it is that it's a Navy recruitment tool. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is serious. It is straightforward. And it hits all the marks. Cool guys doing cool things. It's a movie that feels nice to watch. I was transported by it. I think I got an idea of why people love it so much and why it holds such a special place in people's hearts. I was, I was, thinking, about this, I was thinking about Die Hard when I was watching this movie because when I was watching Die Hard, the, the first one for this podcast, it didn't really stand out to me. You know, it, was just kind of a, it felt like kind of a generic action movie in a lot of ways. I think it's been uh, overshadowed by better movies uh, since it came out. So I didn't You're really talking about Die Hard, right? Yes. I didn't yeah. really understand why Die Hard was so beloved. You know, as I watched the sequels, I started to like the original a lot more. But <laughs> this one, I felt I really did feel like I like got the vibe, I think. Like, you know, even though it didn't come out, you know, when I was a young kid and even though I didn't watch it obsessively like a lot of other people have, especially people in my generation whose parents love this movie. I still like watching it critically watching it now. I really like felt something and I I could, I feel like I could understand why people felt attached to this movie. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to kind of skip ahead here for a second, but I think the reason why is because Top Gun is the ultimate uh, American anime. (laughs) Yes, dude. That's exactly where my mind went. When I first saw this, (laughs) this is the pilot anime where we've got like the main character is like, I'll be the best pilot. You know, I got a quote for you. I got a quote for you. Hey, that boogie's still behind you. I'm maneuvering for a shot. Stay with him, Mass. Stay with him. Take the shot. Nail him. Nail him. Shit. Ice. I can't get a toe. Shoot, Maverick. I can't get him off my tail. Maverick, we're hit. We're hit again. Okay. All systems are functioning. We're okay. Ice. On the count of three, break hard right. Three, two, one. Break right. Firing. I mean, like they're communicating, right? Like they're they're talking to each other. It's a very tense moment, but this feels such so anime to me. Just like them, like now I'm going to shoot them. Like, uh, oh no, I missed. I can't get a lock on the thing. It's it's also like (laughs) dramatic, right? But like, yes, the 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 words are so sharp. (laughs) Well, especially because you have kind of like your main character who is like for no other reason than he's the chosen one being the best at the thing that defines your social standing in this world which is how good of a pilot you are and (laughs) all of the things that are all your emotions and like kind of the things that make up your personality and who you are are reflected in the way that you fly and you also overcome your emotional difficulties via some sort of uh, engagement in this in the sky it's right awesome i totally agree with what you're saying is that like some movies if you don't see them when they came out it's difficult to kind of capture that essence and understand why it was such a huge hit i felt like top gun retains that when i sat down to watch this movie i I mean we'll get into it i do do think some parts of this movie are completely ridiculous but (laughs) i couldn't help myself but become thrilled by the just what this movie is it's badass and it, it's it still has that top gun one still has that feeling um and, and uh yeah i i'm it's easy to get into it just for the sake of how badass it is 
Oh yeah, and like the other one other anime trope I want to point out is that they're at a freaking school for a yes. specific thing. <laughs> <laughs> they're all dressed up in their in like their uniforms and everything. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> well, also you you kind of have these uh, one dimensional characters. Like as much as I love Iceman, he's so one dimensional, which makes <laughs> sense. Like he has to be the rival, and of course you have to have a fucking rival if it's going to be an anime. <laughs> <laughs> and there's always those montages and stuff of them like flying or or doing whatever. It's so cheesy. Oh gosh, yes. No, it's it's so funny. Yeah, I I, I completely. I think we're on the exact same page here. So, but let's talk about the sequel for a second. So the sequel, Top Gun Maverick, does something unusual because it's been so long since the first one. It can't simply build off the lore and bring in something bigger to the table. Again. Die Hard 2, Die Hard with a Vengeance, right? Die Hard with a Vengeance is sort of a perfect sequel to Die Hard. Um, that movie kind of took the concept of John McClane and then did it again, but kind of bigger, right? Uh, another great sequel, Shrek 2, right? Uh, Absolutely. You know, Shrek 2 is better than Shrek 1 in, some, in many ways. And it takes the idea of Shrek donkey which you've already established well in the first movie takes them and, and puts them into a you know another another world another environment and it kind of keeps building up on that lore right you couldn't make either of those movies 30 years after the original one right it just doesn't fit with what it is it has to be so this movie has to do something different and it has to look back and reflect on what the original was and what that legacy is i feel like this has to be addressed in some way, you know, even if it's just kind of tongue in cheek, there's no way they can just ignore that and be like, oh, this is just happening later. You know, it, it has to be a reflection on the legacy of this movie that is so well known, and so well beloved. Maverick, the character, leads that retrospective. He's the embodiment of Top Gun. Um, and, you know, he as the he's the uh, anthropomorphized version of this movie in the franchise. Um, and he leads that that perspective, perspective. But instead of being a straightforward, just cool dudes doing cool things like the first one is, this movie's tone and purpose is completely different. It's, it feels completely like a completely different movie, and it accomplishes completely different things. And honestly, I, I struggled with this, but I really do think this is what I want from a sequel like this. It's the same, but different. It takes elements from the original and remixes them, gives them different context, and then it tells a different kind of story. Jurassic World, Independence Day Resurgence, uh, Bad Boys uh, for Life, or whatever that freaking movie is called, even Star Wars, not able to do this. Not able to... We we're attempting to do this, and we're not able to. They, they honestly never even had to try, right? And they just ended up telling the same story over and over again with diminishing results every time without ever really realizing what they were doing or why they were doing it. I think the biggest hurdle, my biggest hurdle for Top Gun Maverick was actually admitting that it might be good. <laughs> Something like this has never worked before for me. And it's always felt cheap. It's always felt stupid. But this one actually makes it work. I totally agree. It's it, they're so aware of what the original is, and it's almost like they had this. They took the same skeleton but put new flesh on it, and that <laughs> helps us love the things that we loved about the first one, but gives the new like movie its own purpose, uh, and it, it justifies its own existence. 
which yes. I, yeah is super i mean that's honestly why th- that's the biggest problem with sequels is a lot of times you're saying who asked for this why do i even have this this seems like a blatant cash grab and i'll be honest when they announced that Top Gun Maverick was coming out. My cynical ass was over here saying, yeah, obviously this is a cash grab. And yes. it, it, like, there's no way that this is going to be worth, it's going to be like every other sequel, but this one, it's different. It really is different. So I, I think I want to focus on the beginning and like the climax of both these movies. because They're kind of inverted for me, uh, pun intended. Wow. Uh, I, was, I was hooked from the very beginning with the original Top Gun. Maverick flying Cougar back in like after a close call, right, was so tense. I was on the edge of my seat. I'd seen I'd seen Top Gun before, but it's been I think I saw it in like sixth grade or something, and I it never it never really like resonated with me. And I did not remember what happened at the beginning, so I was I was half expecting him to crash into the aircraft carrier, and I did not know. Up Especially because he's he, wobbling like crazy. They definitely do that camera trick where he's not <laughs> under control, and then it cut to him actually landing. Yeah, yeah. Like, up <laughs> until that moment where he lands, it lands. I'm not sure he's going to crash or not. Yeah. And I feel like th- that tension like really hooked me, and I don't think the movie ever brought it quite back to that level again. Um, not even at the climax, but it sold me up to that point. Um, when they had actually, when they actually had to do the four real mission and take out enemy planes, I just completely lost what was happening. It's so confusing. It's such a mess to discern like which planes are which and like who's behind who and like what's even going on. It's just it's so confusing. And obviously, if you're in a dogfight or something like this, you know probably you could tell. But from a movie going perspective. I have no idea like what's happening (laughs) and I understand there's a lot of technical limits, right? I think the the way these movies are shot is also very notable, which I'll talk about in a minute, but this, um, these, uh, it it really does lose me. I think in the climax, I'm just like, okay, whatever. Like, uh, we'll just skip to the end to see what happens, I guess. Um, and like every time Maverick says, Oh, splash one or whatever, like he he kills, he gets a kill or whatever. Uh, I can follow along with that, but like as far as the like, maneuvering and everything, it, it's it's completely lost to me. It's not clear. I feel like the complete opposite for Top Gun Maverick. The experimental plane that Maverick was flying was super cool looking, but I was so relieved that that wasn't important to the plot. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like the situation was so contrived and it didn't fit at all about what I knew about Maverick. Uh, so, okay, here's the thing, right? He has to fly the plane at Mach 9. But the program will be shut down unless he flies it at Mach 10. So Maverick is Maverick is flying faster because he wants to save his and his friend's project, right? But not because he's obsessed with being the best, right? I feel like this would make more sense if and maybe this doesn't reflect his you know growth between movies, but I feel like the Maverick I know from Top Gun One would have been like Mach 9. Let's see how fast this baby really can go and would have gone to Mach 10 and then crashed the plane and everyone would be upset with him and then he gets sent to Top Gun because they all <laughs> get rid of him but in, in this situation he gets to be the good guy and then and fly fast still right and although he does push it right he goes over the line or whatever um it's it, it, I don't know it, it just feels so backwards to me that he's like they're like we need uh, we're not flying the plane fast enough Maverick and it's like you're talking to the wrong guy. Like <laughs> he wants to fly the plane fast. Anyway, so I it didn't really grab me very well, um, and I wasn't really convinced. And then once he sees Rooster in the in the bar playing the song, then I started to get more interested. I was I was more invested. 
Um, and then from there, I feel like it built, built really well. And I think the climax for Top Gun Maverick is truly amazing. Uh, I spent the entire movie basically explaining what they were going to do, and then they were doing it. And that made it super easy to tell what was happening. I was able to anticipate every challenge as it came up. And I just love that part. I mean, I, I haven't been this excited during a climax, like during a movie since I've, since uh, Fast 7. Wow. Uh, I was, I was like yelling at my screen. I was, I was pulling <laughs> my hair out. I was going, oh my God. I, like, if you look at my notes, I have like, ex- I have like 10 exclamation points after some of the things that happened. Like I was like writing down just some of the events and I never do that. And then I was like, typing all caps, like, holy shit, holy shit. I can't believe that just happened. So I was just, I was so, uh, I was so excited, I guess. Um, and yeah, I, again, like Top Gun 1, I feel like got me in the beginning, didn't really liver on that Top Gun Maverick, didn't really get me in the beginning, and then um, it did uh, it did deliver at the very end. Okay, so I, like kind of in response to that, I totally agree with you that the scene with Cougar, it it's so tense and it instantly elevates this movie because you feel the stakes. Everything after that for me felt so much more meaningful because every time you get in an airplane, especially because they're not even like really at war. I mean, there's enemy aircraft, but they didn't even shoot each other. That was bizarre to me. I was like, they're not going to shoot each other down. They're just going to like kind of tease each other and then fly away. And like, so every time they got in the planes after that felt life or death, especially having goose die again in a training exercise. It's like, this is some real shit. Uh, And that for me, paid off in the climax when you're like okay now it is real now everybody is actually gonna be shooting guns and trying to kill each other i agree that you kind of can't tell what's going on but i still want to give top gun one credit for what it was able to do for the time period i was blown away uh by just how immersive it was um and for the for like the most part i feel like top gun maverick is able to kind of follow that same structure i agree i did not care at all about going mach 10 now also let's let's talk about another thing they the whole point of going mach 10 and like risking it and destroying that plane was to try to get their project from being defunded which would mean funding going to drone operations and we've got this you know the classic top gun commanding officer who's chewing out maverick he's like one day like soon these airplanes aren't going to even need pilots. We're going to yeah. like it in like, why is that a bad thing? Like, I know that Maverick wants to keep flying, but like, Oh no, we're not going to have people die in training exercises anymore. Darn. You know, like that's, it seemed like such a, a weird thing. And I, I, I do believe there's a certain amount of like uh, metaphor there. But yes. in the moment, I'm like, <laughs> what are you arguing about here? It's like, <laughs> oh, no. Like, now when a plane crashes, no one dies. <laughs> like, darn. <laughs> but, uh, but, but to get back to the point, uh, I felt like by following that same formula, Top Gun Maverick, it, it like paid off in the same way where although I didn't feel like Top Gun Maverick established that same high stakes uh, at the same way that like it not even this definitely not the same way but not mm. to the same degree as Top Gun 1 again like I said I felt like after Cougar it's like anything it's life or death up here every single time and Maverick there's like 
good morning pilots i just flew right between you and like definitely yeah. could have crashed into you and killed all of us but instead i'm just like hee hee he, time to get started or the thing where he's like inverted in front of rooster and they go into like a death spiral where it's yeah. like again they they indicate that that was dangerous and they both could have died it's like a game of chicken essentially but also what the hell are you doing? Like, I know <laughs> Maverick is like reckless, but that seemed more like it was reckless in the sense of like he was messing around as opposed to like, this is really going to kill people for a stupid reason. So, uh, but to get, I, I, to get to my point, I feel like the same thing. It all of the, uh, the f- final scene being quote unquote real action or, or like an actual life or death mission uh, paid off big time. And I love the climax. Um, do you, okay, so let's talk about our, our two Mavericks that we've got. Um, we got Top Gun's Maverick and Top Gun Maverick's Maverick. <laughs> um, and, and they're both very different. Um, but the evolution from one to the other feels natural and is very, it's very interesting to examine. Instead of being the reckless and emotional hotshot from the original, this older Maverick is deliberate, haunted, and struggles with the weight of responsibility. He is still willing to push as far and hard as he can, but it's for different reasons. Um, and he feels like he has more to lose, and that makes him uncertain. There's this really this quote that really stuck with me, uh, which I'm going to play for you right now. Amateurs of this mission call for something they have never encountered. Okay, something you have they... less than three weeks to teach them how to fight as a team and how to strike the target. And how to come home. And how to come home, sir. I'm going to say this over and over again. Tom Cruise is such an incredible actor. Um, this, I, I, this like change in perspective for Maverick, where he cares so deeply about the safety of these pilots, right? Because he's so haunted still by what he felt like was his mistake during Goose's death, which let's be clear was his mistake. <laughs> Even though he was cleared of all wrongdoing, he was, pl- he was, he was being reckless in that moment. It was very clear. Um, the, this like, I really do like this change. I I like that they focus on this so heavily, um, because I think it gives a lot of weight to, uh, Maverick. It makes him feel it makes the weight of the situation really feel heavy, and like he's taking it seriously, and therefore you, the audience, are taking it seriously. Uh, it, it's a it's a change that really makes sense. I think for Maverick. As Goose's death has haunted him throughout his life, he's trying to learn from the mistake and keep others from recklessly making the exact same one. It, yeah, I feel like Top Gun 2 does less to just worship Maverick, which to me makes him more likable. Which That's ironic because it is called Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> right, but they allow him to be, I don't know, a little bit less the baddest motherfucker on the planet. And sure. he, he's like allowed to be um i don't know more of a person i i just got kind of exhausted in the first one with everything he did he i mean the part where he's getting chewed out and he's like maverick like you're not doing things right but like you're the best damn pilot of all time like it's like okay which one is it like are you chewing him out or are you praising him and like the part where because i i actually because you talked about having seen this movie when you're in sixth grade 
I probably saw this movie, but I was so young, I don't remember it at all. Like, my brother liked this movie, but he's older than me. And mainly what I knew about Top Gun was that it was a ride at Paramount Carowinds. And (laughs) I wasn't old enough to ride it. So uh, this was like a, a truly new experience for me and when he approaches charlie at the bar and starts singing you lost that love and feeling and everyone joins in i was like what the hell is this this guy (laughs) is so amazing that he can just command a crowd like this and then he just waltzes into the woman's restroom and he's just of course he has sex with the teacher you know it's like oh he's just completely badass and and the, the you should worship the ground that he treads on like that's it for, for me that was too much and i get, i almost can see at least I, I i'm assuming that there's some other audience member out there who is like Maverick is everything that I want to be and I love Maverick like I wish I was Maverick and seeing things like this happen for him is wish fulfillment for me right and that makes me roll my eyes Top Gun Maverick on the other hand gives him way more humanity and makes him seem like just a deeper person someone who's not so surface level just being the badass I know Top Gun 1 had like the daddy issues and he also got way more humanized when Goose died I felt like that pulled him back down to earth a little bit but I feel like he's more that person for the entirety of Top Gun Maverick uh, which I think was important so so we don't get tired of him I okay this is interesting because I think he does portray recklessness and I think that his actions even though they are rewarded in the end, it's sort of despite what he does, right? He gets totally blown off by Charlie when he's, when he's harassing her at the bar and everything. <laughs> Super creepy that he, goes, he follows her into the bathroom <laughs> yes. and everything. I think, I mean, I think the way I interpreted that scene where he like got everyone to sing along was that all of these guys will, like, will support uh, somebody trying to get laid. <laughs> Like one of their own trying to get laid, and then as soon as somebody tries to do some sort of stunt, they'll just join in, uh, you know, on the off chance that it will it will turn out good for him, you know. Yeah. And he and he has that he knows that that's how that works because it's not even that they know each other necessarily; they just know the uniform. And he's like he's always stunting around, acting like he's the best. And what's interesting about this, right, is that um, he is very very good. He's very very talented, but as Iceman says. You're everyone's problem. That's because every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I don't like you because you're dangerous. That's right. Ice, man. I am dangerous. He comes off as unhinged in this moment, right? Where he's, he, he, it's like he's a crazy person because he's like willing to risk it all, right? And then when he, when Goose dies, he really feels like he's lost so much from that. And he really has to question whether or not his approach is even the right one. This sort of job rewards that kind of behavior, right? Viper says that he likes that kind of arrogance in someone. And, but I think that, I really do think that this movie is, the first one is is very critical of Maverick's just recklessness and aggressiveness. Um, And that's why he gets hit so hard you know, and then has to kind of come back from that. And right, then, but I guess my question is, does he really grow? Because he, one thing he definitely changes about is learning to value his teammates and be there for right. them. I, um, I love that, like, we, we have the quote, too, where during the actual dogfight, he refuses to leave Iceman. Fabric! Got a mink coming around on our tail. We got to get out of here. 
I can't leave ice. Still coming around, he's still coming around, he's gonna get behind us! I'm not leaving my wingman. And this is powerful because we had a lot of examples of Maverick going rogue and he's like, oh, my wingman's fine. And then the whole training exercise falling apart. And it was cool to see him finally value that and to see it pay off in, in like a real world situation, especially because he saves Iceman's life. And then they have, yes. they can be each other's wingmen anytime after that. <laughs> Which but, is awesome. Yeah, it is. It's awesome badass. anime moment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but... I am not so sure that I saw the same growth in his recklessness because after that, he's like, oh, we're going to totally buzz the tower. And um, what's his name? Tim, uh, the Tim guy Robbins. From, yeah, Tim Robbins is like, uh, really? what, what is this? And then he's, they actually do it, which I thought was kind of counter to showing his growth. Like, what, how did you feel about that? I, I mean, it's sort of his thing, I guess. Like, he feels like he can... It, 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 that got him chewed out, right? But it never actually was something dangerous, I guess. I think is sort of... He was still trying to be himself, I think. And that, that showed that he, like, truly was back to being his old self. That he really has recovered from Goose's death. Which, like... If you really, if you really want to be cynical, Goose's death is so cynical because it's like everyone, everyone's just like, yeah, you just gotta get over that. That's what yeah, happens. Yeah, no, man. it is. That's the other thing. I <laughs> felt your, like your him- best friend dying. Yeah, just you know, get over that shit. <laughs> like I felt like him throwing his dog tags in the sea was him being like, I've finally decided to not give a shit. <laughs> like and throw I think them that, into well, the sea. Okay, so somebody says, I think it's Viper says that you have to let go, and I, I think that was showing that growth there, right? Of him being like. Goose is Goose will be with me, even and I can I can finally grieve him, let him let him like rest, you know. Um, that's the way that I interpreted that. Yeah, moment. and I, and like I think putting it in the most charitable way possible, I think I can see it that way too. But I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was like like I said, it just seemed weird that he was like, "All right, I dealt with my issues. See ya." And like I'm yeah. literally throwing this out. It is so weird. It feels it feels so like. Just because Goose is the sacrificial lamb, you know, the sacrificial goose, you might say. <laughs> he just he just totally gets uh, owned just so that the Maverick can have a, a learning moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, the other thing is like is Charlie. Let's let's. I want to talk a little bit about the romance between Charlie and and uh, Maverick. Absolutely, I yeah. I, I really like this, and the thing that I like the most about it is that she likes him because he's a good pilot. <laughs> It's not even like he he goes up to her right. He's like totally he's hitting on her and everything. Totally making all these assumptions and uh you know doing all these you know making all these moves, saying all these lines, and she's does not want to hear anything about it. But then after he like pulls off some impressive stunt during the training, that's when she's like, "I've fallen for you." It's because <laughs> I I've seen such genius and you're flying again. Such an anime moment when she's just like, uh, like it's she he it's so funny. I think this is such a good twist. He thinks that he's cool because he's flying planes, right? He thinks that what he's doing makes him a cool person, but she likes him because he's like the best at flying planes, not because he's cool. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I think that's so, I think it's so clever actually. And their relationship is, I think, interesting. I've seen other people say that it doesn't work at all. And I, I actually think that it, it fits nicely because they they sort of have this on and off again where he's like he's interested in her and then she thinks he's stupid and ridiculous right and then she kind of embarrasses him publicly a few times right and then he and she kind of comes around to 
to kind of seeing a good side to him. And then, you know, they kind of have this more respectful relationship afterward where they actually feel like they have something to offer the other person uh, more than just being like, you know, a conquest. And that, that, I don't know, I feel like that feels like they kind of grow a little bit together. Like there's, there's this sort of uh, mutual respect where he started to sort of realizes where that she has something to offer him and uh, that you know, maybe he is some, more than what he first appeared to be to her. Dang, you got you got a lot more out of the relationship than I did. I was super cynical on this. And I'm not saying that you're wrong, but like going along with the whole like Maverick is the ultimate badass. Like, of course, he's going to have the rare experience that sets him apart from his peers, having gone toe to toe with actual MIGs in the aircraft that they didn't have the right intelligence about. And then yeah. he's able to like bed her and like be like so and again it's like he's so good at flying that it like literally makes her panties drop it's like okay <laughs> it's that's that's awesome i guess um it, it just i don't know a lot of it kind of felt like um like this kind of just wish fulfillment to me and it actually yeah. really surprised me because a lot of people had i heard it describe this movie or joke about this movie more accurately is they said this movie was super homoerotic which it definitely is. There is a lot of Tom Cruise in his tidy whities and just muscles bulging, brooding in the locker room. And like him and the other guys sitting there, barely wearing any clothes, like getting mad at each other and being really sweaty. They're like, no, it's they're not so how, sweaty. That's not they're how so it's sweaty. To be. Why are they all so wet? <laughs> I don't know. It's so many scenes. They're super sweaty, which is something that they brought back in Top, Run, Top Gun Maverick as well. So I was glad to see the consistency on the sweat. But, um, <laughs> well, what about what are this quote from Goose where he says, uh, you must have carnal knowledge of a lady this time um, uh, on the premises. <laughs> <laughs> and they're both like laughing because like as, as if like that's not what happened last time. Right, right. No, and it's like so to have this very heterosexual relationship, I think kind of caught me off guard for a movie, especially with the volleyball scene uh, was supposed to be uh, at least it was pitched to me. as so um so homoerotic but but let's take a look at at top gun 2 because i feel like top gun 2 was not the same woman but the same relationship rekindled and again this one felt like fan service to me and maybe i'm being cynical again but this like aside from giving some like an additional reason for maverick to need to be cautious to feel like he has something to lose or someone else has him to lose this Mm -hmm. just felt like oh don't you want to see maverick in a relationship again yeah that's exactly what i thought too i was really disappointed that they didn't carry the relationship with charlie into the sequel even if it was sort of off screen um i realized that like the more alone maverick is the more he has to gain by the end of the movie um but it really does feel like a waste uh of the first one to just kind of completely write that out um and they did the same thing too when he was when they said he went back to be an instructor, but he only lasted two months. Which like maybe that makes sense, but again, it just it just shows it's just it's the problem with every sequel, right? And no, um, no uh, romantic comedy can ever have a sequel because then your characters will be reset back to being unhappy again. Yeah, um, which ruins the like the happily ever after message of the first one. 
Um, yeah, I think I think Jennifer Connelly is great, but I honestly felt like this was only in here because it was in the first one. Like the original had a, had a love story, so this one has to have one too. So I completely agree. Penny Benjamin coming back is totally just fan service. Uh, great like, last hey, I name. That. I recognize that name. Yeah, great last name. <laughs> forgettable relationship. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, but but I want to bounce it back to Goose because I think we've talked a lot about Goose, but we haven't really touched on Rooster yet. And okay. after, because I already know what Miles Teller looks like because I'm a. How would you rate his mustache? Ooh, I, I very respectable. I've, oh, I've you liked I, it. I, I liked it. I yeah. did not like it. I think I I'm I'm I have kind of a weird mustache myself though. So I'm kind of a connoisseur of like the like should this mustache even exist kind of mustache. Okay. Those okay. are the ones that catch my eye. I get a little bit I honestly I get a little bit off put by the guys who are just so genetically gifted that I'm just like of course you have a mustache. You could have whatever right. you want. But but <laughs> after seeing Top Gun 1 for the first time and already knowing what Miles Teller looks like Without even knowing anything about Top Gun Maverick, I was like, oh, yeah, that's Miles Teller's is obviously Goose's son. There's no way he's not. He looks like he's related to him in a way that rarely gets like cast in, in, a, yeah. in a sequel like this. And it's great because not only does he look exactly like him, but he's also a good actor. So I thought that, w- it, that alone almost justifies the creation of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just the existence of Miles Teller or Miles Teller looking something <laughs> like Anthony Andrews, whatever his name is. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, what did you think of Rooster? And the Edwards, um, I I really like that they gave him something to do. He wasn't just an RIO. Um, I I it's so funny. Like those guys in the back don't do anything. Like they have all these buttons and stuff, but you never see them do anything in Top Gun. Um, in in the second one, right? Uh, they have him like hitting the flares, and there's some radar and stuff. What I right? But um, it, literally, he's like, "Goose, where are they?" And Goose is like looking around inside. Like, <laughs> yeah. can't you like? What is that really? What your purpose is? Is just to like, they like, have your head on a swivel. You can't even look behind you because like <laughs> that's where the, the chair is strapped in. I don't know. It's just funny that these uh. guys like they're like in, they're like the best of the best, but like all they do is sit in the back seat and <laughs> tell people to not do things, and then they just like be ignored. <laughs> they don't even fire the guns. I don't know. Anyway, so it was nice having uh, Rooster like be an actual pilot, right? Have him like back there, like you know, doing pilot stuff, and then um, I, I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't in love with the uh, with the storyline that they came up with, where like uh, Maverick had interfered with his career. I get like it made again. It made sense, but it just felt kind of, I don't know. It just felt like out of place, you know. When there was already something so obvious, where yeah, it was um, super obvious. It's like like why oh. didn't he just blame him for his father's death? And then and then the other thing is Maverick doesn't seem like he's really in this guy's life, right? He, he like he like sees himself sort of has as having this responsibility or inheriting the responsibility from um, from Goose. But like he's not like they're not like on good terms, you know what I mean? So like if he was, if he really felt like he was stepping up to be like the father figure, then they would have already hashed this out a long time ago, and then this action that he had taken would have clearly been done out of love instead of out of some sort of spite or something, which is what Rooster feels like it's made out of, right? But totally, Rooster feels t- like Maverick pulled his papers for the Air Force Academy to fuck with him instead yes. of to protect him, which it obviously was. Like as soon as they mentioned anything of that, I was like. 
yeah, well, obviously Maverick is going to stop him from being a pilot because he doesn't want him to end up like his dad. And it's yeah. like treated as this reveal later on when he's like getting like strictly not sexually explicit with Penny Benjamin. He's just laying down and t- t- chatting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's so different from the first one. But, uh, you know, he's like, oh, I did it because his mom wanted me to. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I, I wouldn't have necessarily guessed that his mom specifically told you, which totally relieves him of any guilt or wrongdoing uh but obviously he's doing it to protect him like the fact that rooster takes that as like just maverick being a dick is is yeah i think it's a little bit contrived and like yeah why doesn't he just blame him for his father's death yeah right it's right there i don't know why they have to invent this other thing that's happened right it feels like that could be that would be something that someone might be bitter about for a long time (laughs) yeah with good reason it just makes sense yeah but i I did appreciate having rooster like when we were talking about making a sequel that remixes the original i love that we got to have rooster kind of stand in for some of the maverick stuff right like rooster gets to have the rivalry with hangman instead of right like to to, to kind of parallel the maverick and iceman rivalry and yeah 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 and we get to have him have his personal growth that happens during the climax where he d- learns to trust himself and 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 not fly so cautious so that he can complete the mission right yes i saw a comment on a youtube video um, the YouTube video is from uh, someone from called Film Speak, and the video is called "Why Top Gun Maverick Is Perfect," a video essay. Oh, I want to um, watch which, that. Uh, it was it was interesting. Um, the someone in the comments said that um, <clears throat> the roles are reversed in this situation, where Hangman is the Maverick-like character, where he's reckless and individualistic, and uh, Rooster is the Iceman character where he's cautious and like controlled. And instead, and Hangman's more of an antagonist, whereas um, a Rooster is more of a protagonist, which is switched from the original. Um, and it makes sense too because Maverick and Hangman, their attitudes need to be adjusted in order to actually work as a group, right? And that um, it all comes back, it's all well set up. So. I think I, I think that's a pretty pretty astute observation from some random YouTube comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I loved it because um, honestly, I guess kind of getting into some of the other people in the Top Gun classes, I, I felt like Top Gun. Or I guess just sp- specifically talking about Hangman, I thought they did a great job of putting him out there and like setting him apart. Like he definitely held down that role as Iceman because. For both Top Gun classes, like the the graduates in the second one and then the the students, I guess you would say, in the first one, they felt like kind of a monolith to me. We had mm-hmm. our characters among them, but then everyone else was kind of the same. Um, and you had to have those ones that set themselves apart represented again. Um, but I do like the way that Top Gun Maverick gave themselves an opportunity to flesh out those characters a little bit more. I, I don't really care that much about who bob is like he's definitely like sheepish or whatever but it's like okay cool and like we definitely have a lot more cultural uh like representation in there uh, ethnic representation which i definitely appreciate looking at well because like top gun is supposed to represent the best of the best 
of the American Navy. Mm-hmm. And there's all types of people in the American military. And I thought it was cool to see Mickey fanboy Garcia holding it down for the Hispanics in Top Gun 2. Um, although he does fuck up his laser during the mission and would have let the whole team down if Rooster wasn't a good shot. So I don't know if I appreciate that representation. But I did I did think that when you're making a movie that's going to be 30 minutes longer than the original, you you have an opportunity to give time to characters like that in the spotlight. And I guess, I don't know, that was like a, a pretty good improvement, I guess. Yeah, it's a simple thing to do, and it, I think it goes a long way. So, yeah, I agree. Um. Uh, my, I was thinking about you the entire time I was watching both these movies because all these guys go by their screen names. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which is another reason why it's an anime. <laughs> because they all have their superhero names. <laughs> uh, what, would you, what would your call sign be if you had to come up with one? Oh, my gosh. You're putting me on the spot here. No, I got mine, obviously. <laughs> really? What's yours? Dragon. Dragon. Oh, okay, that's pretty good. I, the thing is, I'm, I'm wondering how they avoid repeats. Uh, I mean, you could have repeats, but they would have to be spread out, you know, over the course of time. The other, the guy who had the name first would have to be dead. No, it just had to be like it has to be like maybe two years or something between, you know. Well, I mean, confused. they call guys who have been like, you know, who are way above commanding officers who've been in the military for a long time. Like, you couldn't have another Viper come through, right? Yeah, maybe they're like retired, like hurricane names. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I I honestly have no idea. I'll I'll go with uh uh p- paprika. Paprika. <laughs> There's no that's way that's one. taken. <laughs> <laughs> I I really did I liked how each one was a little different. Like the 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 descriptions on their on the uh helmets were different. Hangman's, for example, was missing the A's as if he was playing a game of hangman. I that was pretty cool. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's awesome. Yeah, their helmets <laughs> did look badass. I, I, I love that stuff. And just and it just adds to kind of the myth of how badass these pilots are. Because he's not, uh, you know, what was it? Pete Mitchell. He's Maverick. Right. Which also, is that where the term like being a Maverick kind of like comes from? I like, don't... Like I culturally? Think Maverick, Maverick is not like a made up word, right? It's something that people... I think it's pop, maybe popularized by uh, Top Gun, but I think Maverick has always been around. Got it. I think uh, I, I was thinking the whole time, like, I got to remember Pete Mitchell. It's a, that's a really good movie trivia question. What's, yes. What's, uh, what's Tom Cruise's real name in Top Gun? <laughs> <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, and on, on top of that, I felt like uh, there's not really a big difference between generally kind of the ensemble cast behind like the main characters our commanding officers in both movies are kind of just guys who do it by the book and get frustrated when Maverick doesn't do it by the book. Having John Hamm in this movie was cool. It was like a big star name, but you didn't need him there. This was this, this role did not call on John Hamm to reach the heights that we know he's capable of. It was more of like a gratuitous inclusion, generic short haired white guy, right? Exactly. That's what you need. Who's not Tom Cruise. Right. <laughs> um, emphasis okay, so, on short when you talk about Tom Cruise, though. Very funny. Uh, did you notice that he looks so much shorter than Miles Teller in this in that in Top Gun Maverick? Like uh, normally he's like he's like, you know, he's always standing on something to make him like at the same height, but he was like a whole head shorter than Miles Teller. Um in Top Gun uh, Maverick. To tell you the truth, um, I didn't really pick up on that, but I guess it makes sense because Goose was much taller 
than that's true. Maverick in the first one. That's true. I think it, it was an interesting dynamic because it kind of gave uh, uh, Rooster like some power. You know, felt like he was uh, he had something to prove. Um, D- definitely, definitely. And I and I guess uh, to go along with that, how did you feel like his on screen on screen chemistry was with Tom Cruise? Uh, I don't know. I I didn't really stand out to me one way or the other. I felt like they, you know, they're both professionals. It didn't it didn't like spark the way that like Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons did in Whiplash. You know, right? That movie's such a such a character drama. It's so heavily based in the performances, where this is really focused on Tom Cruise's performance in the action more than anything else. Yeah, well, the the like ending scene, which I, I kind of feel a lot of ways about the climax of this movie. I thought it was it was good, but it did the part where they sneak onto the base and steal that plane did feel a little bit like the like modern day action movie where they're like, okay, that just happened, kind oh, of they, thing. It definitely was. Like, I was thinking that when they were in the plane, <laughs> which like it didn't feel like that the whole time though. Like uh, in in. Like the concept I really appreciated because it gave us more than Top Gun 1 gave us in the climax because Top Gun 1's climax, as much as I loved it, it did feel kind of short-lived. They shoot down a few airplanes and that's it. They don't even shoot down all the airplanes. The last two leave. Uh, But in this one, they have like a real sacrifice and then they have an impossible situation they have to get out of. And the way they solve it is by getting in one of the airplanes from Top Gun 1. What a fun idea. And so we get, we get to have that fan service, but it's also for a good reason and gives us the most climactic portion of the climax, which is fighting airplanes that are much better than the one that they're in. All that stuff was awesome. But I did feel like the parts that was just the two of them being like, like, what were you thinking? You taught me not to think. I was like, oh, geez. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, felt, I felt the exact same way. I'm, I'm, <laughs> what did you think about when they played the Star Wars theme as they panned around the F-14? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoa, Millennium Falcon. Millennium oh, my Falcon. God. It's, oh, my God. It's the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> uh yeah but but i do as much as i love to point that out and and to take like dunk on maverick for the gratuitous fan service and like being just like some of the other modern sequels we have for the most part it avoids that which i think oh yeah we we have to give it a big credit for like you were saying at the beginning uh, this is a different type of sequel but let's continue our our conversation with going over some of the music wait Um, wait, wait. before we get there yeah i really want to talk about tom cruise for a moment Okay. okay go ahead okay so I, as I mentioned, I watched this video from this guy named Film Speak on YouTube. It's called Why Top Gun Maverick is Perfect. Uh, I'll send you the link so you can put it in the, in the description here. Absolutely. I, um, and he brought up this really interesting point, which I've sort of expanded on myself here, which is that Maverick is also an analog for Tom Cruise and his movie career. Instead of moving on and up the ladder for, to a more administrative role, he's still the protagonist, still making incredible action movies, and still pushing the envelope. It's almost like Maverick says is true for Tom Cruise as well. I'm where I belong, sir. It's where he belongs. Um, but there's, there's another implication here, too. And I think Top Gun Maverick is signaling the death of the movie blockbuster. In Top Gun Maverick, Maverick is still the best pilot. He was the best, and he's still the best. This next generation doesn't hold a candle to him. They can't keep up with him. If Maverick is symbolically Tom Cruise, then aren't 
they also saying that there is no new actor out there that is able to touch him. He is he is an A-list star, but where is the next generation of A-list stars? I actually read several articles that say streaming and super super franchises like Star Wars and the MCU are killing the idea of the movie star. And I have a quote from Anthony Mackie, who plays Falcon in the uh, MCU. Business has gone to, like there are no movie stars anymore. Mm. Like Anthony Mackie isn't a movie star. The Falcon is a movie star. And that's what's weird. It used to be with Tom Cruise and Will Smith and Stallone and Schwarzenegger. When you went to the movies, you went to go see the Stallone movie. You went to go see the Schwarzenegger movie. Now you go see X-Men. So the, the, the evolution of the superhero has meant the death of the movie star. And that's the fear now because you're now making movies for 16-year-olds and China. <laughs> and that's it. You think of some of your favorite movies growing up, those movies wouldn't get made today. What do you think about that? I think, it, I think it's true to a certain degree. Um, I do think that the super series or like the endless sequels, uh, cinematic universes that we see constantly uh, put out, these days has kind of absorbed a little bit of that and i think it's interesting to think about what people you would consider to be like the the current era versus the past era because mm-hmm. one counter example i can definitely think of is the rock i mean even though the rock is in a lot of like franchises quote unquote like jumanji or uh you know he's now a black adam i still yep. feel like a lot of people go see the rock because he's the rock versus for i mean i don't know that many jungle cruise stands who went to see jungle cruise and they're like oh it happens to have the rock in it that one was a the rock movie and that's and that's why you went to go see it or at least if you did go i didn't go see it but i didn't see it either but i i think maybe it's a dying breed i think yeah it's probably i would probably like tend to agree with anthony mackie here um, but it's, I still it's think really there are people who are who still stand out there who are still alive f- from that era. Yeah, I think still alive is the key word here because uh, The Rock and a few others were, I think, I, I read this really interesting article from Complex.com. I read, I read like four of them, but Complex's one was the best one. The They mention that all of the kind of A-list stars, the ones like The Rock that are still like, selling movie tickets based on their name alone basically are all older they're like average age is 53 or something like that and that's um that sort of shows that like the next generation isn't really stepping into that role as much and it's really i think it's really interesting to examine this because first of all i don't know if it's really true or not because we haven't really had the opportunity as much the pandemic has totally disrupted the movie going experience the cinema going experience is completely changed now and to um to justify your movie being made in this kind of way is really difficult much more difficult than i think it used to be um but uh, i so i do sort of agree that there's this sort of change of what is what people are being drawn to by 
uh, to the cinema, right? And maybe it is true that the movie star is going away and it's being replaced by something that is more corporately controlled, like a franchise or a character, uh, right? Who's, who could be recast if the actor doesn't get along. Um, but uh, I don't necessarily think that's necessarily bad either, right? If it's doing it in a, if we're still getting great movies, right? I, I don't necessarily care so much that, uh, you know, we have these actors that are at this level, you know? I, I don't know if that's good or bad, right? Because there's also um, uh, Scarlett Johansson, right? She recently got into a spat with Disney over the Black Widow, right? Because it was supposed to be released in theaters. It was released simultaneously in streaming. She felt like they skimmed her out of some of the revenue that she was owed. Um, and uh, honestly, I, I, I tend to agree with her on, on that. You know, I think Disney tries to cut corners as wherever they can. But I think that, um, you know, someone like Scarlett Johansson or Jennifer Lawrence is a really good example of, of, of this. You know, she can make a lot of movies, but will people go see them based on just her alone? right is is her name alone enough to draw people into the theater and it's i don't know it's hard to say for 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 sure um you know i think i think both of them jennifer lawrence and scott johansson have both had major flops movies that people did not like that were based entirely most entirely on their star power um, and maybe right, that like wasn't that, uh, the Chris uh, Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence in space movie. Passengers, yes, Passengers, one of the creepiest freaking movies ever made. Um, I did see that movie in in a like uh, in a theater in one of the like the ones that serve you food or something. So I paid you know top dollar for that. Um, and or or uh, what was it? Red Sparrow, which was the one where she was like a uh, like a sleeper agent. I'm also thinking of Scarlett Johansson and Ghosts in the Shell which you got criticized for, for whitewashing an Asian character or um, that movie I, that I really hate uh, where she uh, does, uh, she gets really smart. What's it called? It's not limitless. It's um, uh, Lucy. That's, that's the name of the movie um, where she like, uh, what's the, 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 pr- the premise of that movie is uh, do drugs and when in doubt, do more drugs and eventually that will solve your problem. Um, wow. <laughs> so I really hate that movie. And that one was original idea uh, based entirely on Scott Johansson's uh, um, star power to sell it essentially. So I don't, I don't know. Like it's a risky thing. It's always been a risky thing. We've always had movie, movie stars like this, um, but don't know exactly what's what the future holds for that. And I think Top Gun Maverick is signaling that this is the end of it. Tom Cruise is the last movie star. And I found several articles that say that's actually true. In every one of these articles I read about the death of the movie star, they cite one obvious ex- exception, and that's Tom Cruise. They say Tom Cruise is the only person that can sell franchises, who can sell movies um, consistently uh, with, you know, with purpose. And um, I think that I think it's worth like walking through why this movie specifically has been so successful. It's, I mean, one of the highest grossing movies of all time. I think it's third highest grossing movie of all time now, which is amazing. Um, and I think that the reason for it is because first of all, you got Tom Cruise. Second of all, you got Top Gun, which is a well-known franchise that has not been tainted by endless garbage sequels and reboots. And you have a well-constructed, 
carefully plotted movie that people love. Every person I've talked to who is a fan of Top Gun say they really like Top Gun Maverick. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, I think uh, to use terminology from Top Gun Maverick, this is three miracles in a row, right? Uh, we've got <laughs> lightning is struck three times here. Yeah. And so how, how often will something like that ever happen again, right? If Tom Cruise truly is the last movie star, uh, then we're going to, that leg of that stool falls away. Uh, how many 80s franchises do we have not ha- been preserved the way that um, Top Gun has, right? Very, very few. Uh, almost all of them have been, you know, certainly kind of, not Predator. <laughs> certainly not Predator. Certainly not <laughs> Die Hard, right? A lot, of, a lot of these movies that people hold in high regard have been exploited uh, to you know, basically become nothing anymore, just, uh, just drained of all life until they're just sacks of you know, whatever, just the sacks of just fluid or just empty IV bags. I don't know. It, it's just been completely drained. Um, and, it's, and so like Top Gun is one of the last ones that actually had something like that. And the other thing is that Top Gun itself holds up. It's still a fun movie that people enjoy that you can keep watching. You can't really say the same thing for something like Last Starfighter, where the effects are so bad that it's difficult to watch. You really have to just kind of you really have to pretend you're watching something instead of watching it <laughs> because it just doesn't it just doesn't look as good. The story is there. I think that's a movie that lots of people say, including me, should be remade. I think that with today's technology, you could tell that story in a really cool way that people would enjoy. But the original would be completely obscured by it because it does not have that same magic. A lot of that has been projected through nostalgia and through people's uh, willingness to believe that such a that, that a story like that could be fun, way more than like Top Gun, where it was not just like not just like a competently well made movie, but it doesn't have a lot of these problematic elements from years past, right? A lot of the stars uh, aren't you know it's not Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein, <laughs> you know, uh, producing this movie, right? It's it, you know, Tom Cruise, despite his insanity about Scientology, is still a you know well loved actor val kilmer uh, still still people like him anthony edwards all of those guys right people like them and hold them in in high regard so it's got this really solid base that it's building off of and and then the third thing the third thing that's so important and seems to be the hardest thing to do is to respectfully follow up on that sequel not just tell the same story again but with better effects right it actually do something that um, pays tribute to it, but also does gives you something new. You know, uh, Ghostbusters twenty sixteen with all female cast f- completely fell on its face with this, right? Um, and uh, what's it? Uh, um, that stupid uh, Independence Day movie, uh, Resurgence, right? Independence Day, the first one, honestly, just an okay movie. Like we did it on this podcast, it doesn't. It's not like the greatest thing ever, right? It's sort of fun to watch, but it doesn't have that same. It, it, it's just sort of weird and cheesy in a lot of ways. Yeah, unbelievable like, amount of one-liners from Will Smith, literally back yeah. to back. Like he'll have multiple one-liners for the same situation. <laughs> and then, but like, I feel like Top Gun like doesn't really have that, doesn't fall into those those pitfalls, right? It's something that's that honestly feels like you could still watch today and then have something nice to follow up on it. And it really does feel like it's encapsulated in this kind of almost like amber um without being tainted by other things around it 
Uh, so again, like how often will something like this ever happen again, right? If this is what's required for you to break into that top spot, you know, if you're not an MCU movie is, um, uh, I don't know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to take a, a few miracles at least. I agree. I think there's like, when you think about different characters or different stars who become the character that they play where, um, what, what is it? How do you say his name? Um, Ralph Fiennes or Ralph, uh, yeah. Ralph Fiennes. I think Ralph Fiennes who plays Voldemort. Every time I see him in something else, it's like, Oh, there's Voldemort, you know? And it's (laughs) like, it's not that I recognize the actor is I recognize his most prominent character. And I think if you get to the point where maybe you have played enough iconic characters that you, you kind of transcend all of them, like you become the culmination of all of them. Maybe there's a potential future where some actor could do that and reach that point. But it seems like it's harder and harder to get to that position. Yeah. I, I, and, and it's also just talking about in, in relative terms because I, at this point, have become a Florence Pugh stan where Florence Pugh being in a movie is now enough reason for me to at least g- get my attention and make me consider seeing it. I do think it's hard to say I'm going to watch every single thing she's in because she's pretty active, but I do think that her name alone is, is a really good selling point because I think she's such a good actor. I think she's a movie star and we said as much in our series about her, but it's difficult to get a good opinion of the entire landscape because you have to try to summarize everybody's opinions. Uh, But yeah, it does feel like that kind of thing plays a smaller part. And maybe that's just the ecosystem we exist in today. Um, And I think getting back to like, what is the point of having this conversation? Is that better or worse? I don't know. Because I I think we criticize a little bit of Chris Tucker during our Chris Tucker series that it's like, Chris Tucker plays Chris Tucker in his movies, which I love, but I also see that as like different from being a good actor. So I don't think it's necessarily a problem that we're not that big time movies don't have this one central selling point being that they're starring an A-lister. That's not necessarily good or bad to me. Yeah, but there's, but how do you get someone to watch something? This is the key. This is the, the eternal problem, right? And I think, I think it's actually from Martin Scorsese, um, who, or, or someone, I think it was, I think it was him. Not entirely sure. But again, this is a complex article. They say like it's a chicken and the egg problem, right? Audiences don't know what they want, but you can rely on one thing. Both the studio and the audience can rely on one thing, and that's known quantities, right? If you know what this thing is, you know this guy, you know the franchise, then you're more willing to see it. You're less willing to take a risk on something because the truth is everyone knows almost everything is shit. <laughs> so <laughs> like it's it's hard to like justify that, right? And um so the more known things you have, right, the, the more, you know, known qualities are involved in something, the more willingness you, you will have to see it. And studios know that. But studios, in order to actually build into the future, will have to make some sort of bridge or start making new things with new people and establishing them as those stars. But if, like, um, if you are, all you're doing is casting a new actor in that, that's sort of a low barrier for entry for your audience, like to, for your audience to be like, I think I'm going to like this movie because I like that guy. Where you can then you can tell, launch a new franchise or tell a new story, but all you're doing is 
using an actor and the actor can in theory be anybody right so i i i see that appeal right and it's hard to know like where that will where we'll head where, where we're heading with this you know and what will happen next um i just hope that people will continue to push the envelope continue to experiment um because i i think those those experiments are often rewarded um but it's hard to um it's hard to justify it's hard to know for sure yeah but i also think it can be many different things that are the known commodity that brings an audience to a movie you can have a director who's well known you can have obviously actors like we're saying but you can also have a even a um like studio like you have a24 and people a24 has a lot of different actors and directors but it it ends up being this essence of those movies that people like and it brings them back so i guess it i don't think that it's going to be just one way in the future and maybe right now the meta is ip and uh, yeah i think we can agree that that is exhausting and 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 uh counterproductive a lot of the times when it's like okay we're making another doctor strange movie because you went and saw the first two um but i don't know i guess i still have hope out there that there will be things that breakthrough that are for other reasons besides i already know the characters in this story yeah and i think i think there's no reason to doubt that won't happen okay well uh, but i do i i'm i'm glad you're you're really able to summarize why this movie works so well um and it, it really <laughs> makes me happy that it does i i don't think i would have wanted to talk about this movie if it didn't really crush it um like i, I even before i saw this movie the like the praise of it was so strong that it felt like a safe assumption to watch it obviously wanted to make my own opinion but uh i think i i I joined the chorus there Uh, speaking of big names though i had no idea that val uh, kilmer had throat cancer so the scenes with well first of all the fact that he wasn't in this movie much but also the the scenes where he is like using a computer to talk were very bizarre to me did you know he had throat cancer Yes, it's it's it's. Uh, after I learned that, I was really depressing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so sad that this happened to him. Actually, you know, like, and his voice is completely gone. Actually, the voice you hear in the movie isn't even really his voice. It was AI constructed using uh, his uh, voice from past stuff, and I wow. guess it was kind of garbled a little bit to make it sound like he was, you know, kind of straining. Um, so yeah, that's that's all like that was all faked basically because he he's, he can't talk anymore. Yeah, um, I had to go to the internet terrible. immediately when I got to these scenes because I was like, why are they? This seems like such an odd choice, um, but it also seems devastating to also have him die of throat cancer in the movie because it's like, yeah, oh, is that gonna really happen? Like this is really uh, kind of uh, I, apparently he's doing better. Apparently he's like he's it's in remission or something. I don't know if he has the he's gonna regain the ability to speak ever again, but apparently he's he's doing okay. And I I read at least like you know kind of snippets from interviews that Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise are are like they they like each other a lot. They're they really like working together. So I felt I think that that scene was. I think it wasn't just fan service. I think that was something for Val Kilmer to give his character a send off, um, you know, which I, I think is actually pretty sweet. Um, yes. No. Well, in it, context, it really I loved it because at first I thought it was a artistic choice. I thought they were yeah. doing it to be like, oh, we're going to make this really dramatic. And I was like, that's unfortunate because I think Val Kilmer is, has such great screen, screen presence. We don't need to add something like that. But to find out that's actually the situation was devastating. Um, but I agree with you. I think it was good to have give him a send off like that. And I mean, he's Iceman. You can't make the second 
uh, you know, Top Gun without Iceman. Yeah, you got to. You got to have something in there for him. And um, oh my gosh, I just I'm so impressed with Tom Cruise when in both in both of these movies when he's when he has to be upset when when his friend dies, <laughs> like he in when he's in the uh, you know when he learns about Goose dying and and stuff and he's talking to his wife and his wife says oh, he loved flying with you and like you could it's just amazing like it, it, it's so. It's not like a necessarily subtle change, right? But it's it's him like fighting back those tears and being unable to, right? And he's just sort of you can see the emotion on his face where he's just he really feels it. I, he, he's such a good actor. And then the same thing here when he's talking to Iceman. I like calling him Iceman instead of Iceman. <laughs> when Why? he's talking to Iceman and he says he's um and. <laughs> you know, he's he's talking to him and giving him like that pep talk, right? He's saying like you have to go out there, you let go, and you have to you know get you have to, you have what it takes to take him on or whatever. And you see that like kind of well up in his eyes and stuff. I, it's just amazing. I, I really, I, I really feel connected to that. Uh, it, it's such a tr- incredible talent, incredible skill for him to em- you emote like that in a way that feels so convincing across. <laughs> A, a generation right uh you know throughout his career he's always been able to kind of put that on and it's really impressive it's such a shame that tom cruise is such an insane person but it's he's because he's such an talented actor <laughs> that's the thing is like i think you have to have the trade-off to be this good of an actor to, you have to be i don't believe insane. that like believe uh that. <laughs> it's uh okay well how about this to be to look this young when you're 60 you have to have some sort of trade-off he looks like he made top gun one like five years ago and then they're now top gun maverick he's just barely looking older it's, I know, it's crazy. wild I, I couldn't believe it looking it up that he was he's 60 today and uh it, he just looks way younger than that uh you know all the stuff that he all the stunts he does in this movie all of the feats that maverick is able to pull off totally believable all Seem the running like he should be able to do it the fact that he there's a tom cruise running scene in this one when he's <laughs> running right. through the snow trying and to he's find running dudes, the beach. he's also running on the beach when he's playing when they're playing two football uh football yes okay so i guess two that's a good segue to talking about the i mean there's not much to compare here but i just we had to point out that they brought back the volleyball scene but much like a lot of other aspects of this movie it's the same thing it's the same skeleton but with different flesh it's uh it's, you know saucy shirtless a lot of skin a lot of sweat um beach sport i guess but instead it was dogfight football which initially i was like two footballs you <laughs> idiots don't know how football works like, you don't recognize there's not two footballs i was, in football. I was like what's going on like there's i was like at first they put the two footballs extra chair i'm like uh and then like and then they're both throwing them and then they're both everyone's celebrating i'm like hold on a second hold on <laughs> there's two footballs that's not right and everyone's cheering like nobody's upset it's like hold on what's going on here it's just some sort of participation uh football where everybody gets the score <laughs> but then when they addressed it and also called it dogfight football and they're like it's you know it's better it's offense and defense at the same time i'm like all right it's badass i agree this is awesome <laughs> like, you can have it. don't even explain it further than that because then you'll ruin it uh, good enough i i yeah. appreciate this so um yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that was just a... It kind of typifies what this movie does right. It th- does the same thing again, but gives it its own modern spin, uh, which I definitely appreciated. Um, okay, so let's let's uh, just quickly touch on the music uh, okay. because I don't know about you, but even though the, the music from Top Gun 1 is iconic, 
it is repetitive to the point uh, where it's it's base. It almost like feels like parody. Like they're making fun of the audience for not knowing what emotion to to like feel at a certain given time. So they're like, oh, we'll play the music for the uh for like that. We'll play the sexy music, the boom 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 boom. It's like okay, you're supposed to know they're doing something romantic, and then whenever something good happens, they're like it's like this is the triumph music <laughs> like you we win music you're supposed to feel yeah. happy now like <laughs> you can tell that the the two migs at the end of the movie are on their way out because they wouldn't be playing the music otherwise <laughs> That's right. Which I thought was a glaring flaw with Top Gun One. Like it was. Isn't it that was, a sleep motif? Isn't that just sleep motifs? It was distracting, <laughs> you know. And I think Top Gun Maverick does a great job of including that because they do play that same. Yeah, I can't get that out of my head. It's it's stuck. Every time anything remotely good happens to me now, that song plays in my head. <laughs> but they did a good job of like playing that when when Maverick is riding his motorcycle near the beginning of the first one, and you can hear like it's it's when he like gets to the base and he's like driving and the 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 plane is taking off next to him and he's like oh hell yeah like we're both moving really quick right now you can hear that music playing and it's a great that's elite motif right mm-hmm. they're able to slip that same sound in there in a way that's organic and i thought that was really well done um but maverick top gun maverick takes full advantage of the fact that it's this huge budget movie and it has a wide array of music that convey many emotions and don't repeat so uh, i thought that was great I, I felt like it was a bug in the original that they fixed in the sequel so the 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 um soundtrack was award-winning uh it went platinum nine times which means it sold nine million units um, which is crazy and uh yeah kenny loggins actually recorded playing with the boys and danger zone for the film um it was danger zone actually was originally scheduled to be performed by toto but they uh there was some sort of conflict with them creative differences so huh. yeah interesting that song is perfect for the opening scene Oh yeah, so, so good. Cool. It's so good. Like, stuck in my head. That's the one stuck in my head. <laughs> yeah, and now that's the song. Whenever I see jets flying in the sky, because in Columbia, South Carolina, I'm really close to a military base, so there's planes always flying. So I'm like, highway to the danger zone. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Yeah, love awesome. that. So yeah, okay, I, yeah. It, again, besides the the re- repetition, I, I think it was the music was good but uh yeah i also want to touch briefly on the special effects i don't have a a lot to say about this but essentially what you should know is that they really were flying real planes and had cameras on the planes um in both of these movies there actually was an incident during the filming of top of the original top gun where a pilot crashed into the ocean and his body and plane were never recovered um which is terrifying but Basically, they like they would took all these cameras and would attach them to the sides and to the backs and to the tops of the plane, and then they would film using that. And um, I actually saw something um, on Cord Digital's channel a few uh, a few weeks ago, where um, to get sort of this uh, shake effect, like they were like you know going really fast or something. They actually just attached a drill with a weight on the end of it. And like, uh, like uh, taped it to the camera, and then turned the drill on, and it like gave like a shake, <laughs> which like is what how they simulated that that effect. Because uh, a lot of stuff was also filmed on the ground, right? Um, and they just you know 
it would superimpose it on, on onto the sky. Um, in Top Gun Maverick, uh, they were flying in the planes and they would sit in two seater planes and the uh, actors would sit behind the actual pilots and like pretend that they were flying, uh, which is how they did a lot of their stunts. So those actors really are feeling like the G-force and the movement of the plane and inverting themselves. Um, it, it, like really, it's actually happening. So it's pretty cool. There's this amazing story where uh, Tony Scott was on the uh, aircraft carrier, the USS Enterprise, which is the setting of the the uh, opening part of Top Gun, the original. And uh, he wanted this scene of the planes landing or taking off with the sunset in the back. And they told they had already started turning the uh, ship in order to get back to wherever they wanted to go. And the captain said that, um, you know, redirecting this this thing or like if they missed this turn it would cost them twenty five thousand dollars so tony scott wrote him a check for twenty five thousand dollars and handed it to him and said turn it back so he could film for another five minutes <laughs> pretty <laughs> yeah. amazing yeah i saw that too and apparently the the check bounced <laughs> of course it did <laughs> uh, dude no i i had no well i, I guess I, I have no idea but when i researched how they film these f- movies it's absolutely amazing it makes it that much more badass that the actors are actually in the sky feeling those g-forces and you know getting they're getting real shots of the sky it all looks amazing especially really the first one because you know you just think how far back that was it must have been that much more difficult um and then i mean top gun maverick takes full advantage of the, the fact that it's a modern film and it looks amazing so all together i feel like the special effects knock it out of the park i will say that um the original top gun i I read that the missile launch uh that like where the missile actually comes off of the airplane they they only could film two of those actually happening so they filmed two missiles actually being launched from different angles and used them multiple times in the movie like every time you see a missile being launched it's the same shot which i thought was hilarious again something you would see in a uh parody uh where i don't know if you've seen the uh gi joe episode of community but it's like where they use the same <laughs> animation multiple times yes to yes, save exactly. money that's kind of what they did but what's interesting is the i think it was like homeland defense or something else like the u.s government was involved in the filming of this movie obviously because they were using yeah military equipment but they actually had to do an investigation of top gun like of the movie after because they thought that they had launched more missiles than they were allowed to because they did such a good job of disguising it in the, oh, in the wow. movie that they went and they like audited them to make sure that they weren't illegally shooting off missiles that they weren't allowed to do apparently they didn't do it like the military didn't find them having done anything against the yeah. rules but well it works well because it's not something you really notice it's well cut yeah, I mean, even the planes flying and stuff, there's only a couple of shots of that. I think there's maybe four shots of that, and it's, like, reversed or put upside down or mm-hmm. something. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very clever, uh, but it makes it really hard to tell what's going on. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's a, an impressive feat, and uh, Top Gun Maverick improves on that, like, ten times. Um, and uh, some, of those, some of those shots from the of the planes flying are truly amazing. Some I'm going to remember for a long time. Yeah. Especially that like gen five airplane that does basically like a, a drift in midair and like just stops and turns around. That was was mind blowing. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, okay, well, I think we've had we've hashed it out on a number of attributes of these two movies, so it's time to come to a consensus. Joey, should this sequel have been made? Despite all of my cynicism and everything I know about movies, yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't. I, it was hard for me to accept that this movie was good. I really do like this movie. I think it does a, I think it does a really good job. I think it does everything a sequel like this should do, and it um, deserves the accolades it's getting. I echo your sentiment. This is how sequels should be done. As difficult as that is and how unlikely that is, this movie is able to achieve everything that you want out of a sequel, even 30 years later. And I think that's freaking amazing. I'm recommending this movie to everybody. Watch them both and, uh, and have the time of your life uh, you know, on your way to the, the danger zone. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, there we go. That's the end of our discussion on old versus new Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Affablechat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. There you can find the latest from us and all our social media accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all of which are at AffleChat, and even our email address, AffleChat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Affable Chat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.